The Last Supper with Steph DeSosa. Thanks for dropping by. Come and sass Steph's Life Spice. All her socials at spicysteph.com. Coming up on the podcast today, Chef Jason Roberts is going to tell us all about his Last Supper. Jason's another new friend of mine. We met at the Variety of Chefs event and bonded over a certain word, which I'm not going to repeat here. This man has the biggest and most generous heart and so willing to show us newbies what to do and what's it about. So he's a chef, TV personality, author three times over, and a mad cyclist of all things. I guess we've all got to have an outlet, right? An all-round just really good guy. Is this a five-headed iTunes podcast? If so, leave a review. If not, fuck you. Jason, thank you for coming along to the Last Supper podcast. Steph, so excited to be on it. I love doing a bit of a podcast, even better knowing it's you. Oh, you're so sweet. Oh, look, I'm a podcast addict. I can't get enough of them. And you're a mad cyclist, so do you listen to podcasts while you're cycling? You know, in a big group ride, you shouldn't really have headphones in and listen to anything. But on a solo ride, I like music, I think, more so because I like tempo. But there's a few friends of mine who do listen to podcasts. Um, David Goggins is a good one. Yeah. Um, He's one of those guys who's super motivational, drops the F bomb every now and then. I go, I'm powered. Yeah. (laughs) I can relate to the F bomb every now and again. Actually, it was really interesting when I was thinking about writing up my intro for you. um, I was thinking how we bonded over a certain word the first time we met. And I went, oh, yeah. I'm not going to say whoa, the word. Whoa. I'm not going to say Maybe it. Maybe leave that one for, for us tonight, <laughs> yeah. Wow. Maybe. I do remember it well. <laughs> but it's Dude. a very passionate word. It is. And I, I don't very mind using it, but there's some people that find it very offensive. So, you know, I try to keep it to people yeah, that are yeah, yeah, yeah. people it's, it's I know, not honoring. people I've just met. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but we bonded quite well. We bonded we quickly over, over that. Yeah, We cool. understood it and yeah. we felt its power. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, um, tell me, what, what are you doing right now? Because you're doing some crazy, crazy bike ride, right? Yeah. So currently I'm amidst uh, an eight-day bike ride from Bondi to Brighton, which is down in Melbourne. So it ends up being close to, say, 1,200, 1200, <laughs> uh, 1200 kilometres with close to 11,000 metres of climbing. Um, so the first three days has been, has been a solid headwind what we have is a, is a solid community um, of incredible bike riders, but more importantly, people who are connected to dementia. And unfortunately, a dementia is the second largest killer of people in this country, and, and many people probably wouldn't know about no, that. No, I didn't know but that. But the island, uh, it's, it's absolutely crazy. And I think, you know, I actually just found out three weeks that I had dementia in my, in my family, and it was my grandmother yeah. in her last couple of years. I mean, she was 93, so she had a very good earning. Yeah. But to think that, you know, I, I only found out that my auntie had was, was dealing with my grandmother, or helping my grandmother, basically, yeah. in moments where she would, would absolutely forget things, but also needed a hand, you know, to go to the toilet. Yeah. Just, it was, it's quite debilitating for, for any person. You know, the other day, actually, this is this is crazy about, I mean, you understand social media. Yeah. And a good friend of mine, who I've known for a long time, used to play rugby, and I certainly won't mention any names, but he posted something, and he was in the city, and there was an elderly guy, and he was actually just off to the side in the middle of a main street doing a pee in a, in a pop mm-hmm. plant sort of thing. Yeah. And he sort of posted this thing, look at this grog over here, taking a pee, probably a drunk. You know, the first thing I thought is, dementia. the guy has dementia, He's scared. He doesn't know where he is. Yeah. It's a horrible, horrible disease. And to think that, you know, that, that someone goes through that, you know, family members have to deal with that. You know, people really lose their identity. And it's 
so, so sad. So I do this ride because I want to be part of creating opportunity potentially for families to get some sort of respite, to help raise money, help raise yeah. awareness. And God knows if it was ever happened to my family that I'd have a support group. And I think that's why, you know, doing the bike rides are really good because it's about building community. Yeah, absolutely. And bike uh, riders are, are notorious for being a community, aren't they? Yeah, big time, big time. I mean, we started off, you know, the, you know Bondi Berry started four years ago and I think it was, you know, it was a very small group. You know, but we just did, you know, Bono de Berry this year, a couple of days ago, it was 100, I think it was 150 people wow. had done the ride. And then there's a small portion, I think it's about 28, 30 of us who are now riding down to Melbourne. Yeah. But but they're all absolutely about community. So, look, it's, for me, it's, it's a fun way to stay fit. Yeah. Um, you know, there is, there is proof out there that, you know, staying fit, eating well, is a deterrent against a lot of lifestyle issues, heart disease, cancer, diabetes, osteoporosis. You know, someone was telling me recently, you know, there are huge benefits to, you know, doing endurance sports because of the lactic acid. Your brain feeds off lactic acid Uh as a form of energy. And there was these autopsies done on dementia patients years ago. But the brain had shrunk. So, you know, the brain is actually just losing energy. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of contributing factors, none of which we really can put our finger on and, and change the process of dementia. It could be sitting dormant in someone's system. It could be hereditary. I guess we, we're trying to work out whether it's, you know, it's food and exercise related. But educate yourself when it comes to, to, to dementia. You want to do it all you can to deter it. Absolutely. There's, there's nothing more horrifying than not being able to know the people that are around you oh. and being so fearful in that situation. I, I couldn't put it better. It's, honestly, it's about, it is, there is a fear, an absolute fear. And the look on someone who has dementia, to look on their face and be completely lost and not know where they are yeah. and to be scared. It's like having a child. I mean, it's like having a child. Yeah, child You lost. would do anything you could to give that child as much comfort and support and security. And I think if you don't understand dementia... An elderly person who's going through the same thing that that child is needs just as much attention and love. So it gives it a whole new meaning, doesn't it? When you yeah, think like honestly, that as a when, child. When, yeah, if you can be if you can be cognitive of what dementia is and what people are going through, and actually just talk about it, it's not a death sentence. You just need to adjust. Yeah. But the problem is, you know, family members lose their family members before they've actually gone. That's what's sad. Yeah, I think that is the saddest part, isn't it? Just losing that connection with someone and yet still having to care for them and yet they can be completely lost or they can be... They can be emotional, they can be violent, or they can be so many different aspects of, of dementia and such a huge yeah. impact on the people around them. Yeah, I mean, huge communities. I mean, they're seriously affected. It's just, you know, the, you know, the Bono de Berry is one bike ride I do. I do a lot of number of bike rides throughout the year. Um, I created a big one in the state, the Chef Cycle, which I've been a part of for six years. And yeah. this year we would have raised close to $9 million to feed hungry kids across Whoa, America. We've changed, we've changed the statistics where one, one in five kids was turning up to school without a breakfast. Um, now it's one in six, you know, in some states, yeah, it's, you know, amazing. it's even better. Um, that is you know, a lot of dollars, year, and it takes dollars to change things, doesn't it? It does. It, oh my gosh, it does. It, but it, and it once again back to that word community. You need communities of people who actually understand what you're doing to get behind to support. Um, giving money is one thing, and and I tell you what, people are uh, are so tired of giving money, and it is it gets hard to keep giving and giving to charity. Yeah. There are so many registered charities, but sometimes just giving your time yeah. can be enough. Um, and being aware of what's going on around you in your own community. Yeah. Um, and, and, and maybe talking you about don't the problem, have the, right? Yeah. 
Exactly. You may not have the funds, but maybe you can connect someone who can help. Yeah, so absolutely. That's why, you know, these charities have been huge for me um, because they've allowed me to connect myself to these incredible communities of, of just awesome people and, and it's uplifting. Yeah, absolutely. And you get to hang with amazing people in the end, don't you? You get to do a good thing and you get to hang with incredible yeah. people, make new friends and develop new relationships. Yeah. Bonus for all around, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess, I mean, and then step outside of that, you know, I, um, I, 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 I still cook. I do the occasional pop-up and I still do a lot of social media work based um, around different products in the States. So I head back to the States um, in another three weeks. Oh, how long are you going for, for this time? Um, a couple of weeks yeah. um, in New York, and then I'm, uh, I think I'm back here for a little bit, and then back to the States again early January. Wow, because you lived over there for a long time, right? Yeah, on and off for about um, 10, 12 years, um, both East Coast, West Coast, but my career's been, you know, sort of stretched out, you know, I've, I've been cooking, I guess, almost 30 years, Wow! but since 2000 was doing a lot more travel and media-based work where I was an ambassador for several different products. Yeah. Um, but, you know, starting off as a young apprentice, I mean, all I ever wanted to do was cook and be a head chef. Yeah. I never really had the focus of owning my own restaurant. I don't know. I don't know what it was. And then given, you know, uh, our industry um, as it stands at the moment, it's pretty tough. You know, in yeah. Sydney, it's sort of death by real estate. If you're a small operator, yeah. you need to know how to make your, your real estate work for you, I guess. Absolutely. Um, um, it's just gotten very hard. So, you know, I do I, I do a lot of consultancy and align people's uh, menus and keeping, you know, budgets low, but, you know, real estate. Yeah. And keeping... Very, very tough. And I think it's people like you and lots of other food personalities keeping... Food in the media and in social media keeps people wanting to go out and eat and experience food yeah, and create absolutely. memories with food, and yeah. that is just as important as being a head chef in a in a busy restaurant, right? Yeah, I look initially. You know, I was I sort of look back at my career. I sort of got into television maybe in two thousand when James Joy was thing. I sort of stayed late under the radar with a daytime show for Channel Nine for about four years. Yeah. And I sort of look back at my career and I think, you know what, there's bloody TV chefs that ruin the food industry for everyone because now everyone cooks at home. Yeah. Which I don't think really was the case, but on, on some level we were able to educate people and make, you know, food and, and eating and um, a little bit more accessible. Yeah, I think so. Um, we created, probably created some opportunities. But I think that as soon as we started getting some more of the reality shows, that made it a little bit tougher because... It just people were, are, are becoming a lot more aware of what's around them and cooking at home. I mean, this is this is going. I mean, for restaurants who are suffering, but the biggest the biggest um, issue that restaurants have, I, I really think, is is um, the food delivery companies where they're taking twenty five, thirty percent. It's yeah. not the customer who's paying that no. extra; it's the, it's the uh, restaurant who's losing that. So, I know at some point something's got to give. Um, Unfortunately, you know, it's a lot of closed doors at the moment. Yeah, and had it restaurants. Yeah. You, you know, yeah. who would have thought? But you have to, you know, restaurants have to be able to evolve and yeah. grow with the times. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's really sad to see chefs giving the hats in or losing their restaurants because they can't, you know, keep the uptake. Yeah, it is. But you know what? I can see a lot of these um, big chefs and people that have had had restaurants are now evolving into things that are more, I think, closely aligned to their own heritage and their own 
culture and their upbringing and and getting back to real generous Mm. food that that is probably what they really how they started out and what how they loved food right at the very beginning yeah and i think that's that's beautiful and i actually prefer that that than than the hatted restaurant i love nothing more than finding a little corner somewhere that's got plastic tables and chairs and someone cooking at the back that they have cooked for their whole life and it's just so amazing to experience the food that they cook yeah, there's some great little hubs. I know around in Melbourne, where it is that sort of off the beaten track. We there's a bit more of a hole in the wall, and the, what I love is the food that's super authentic. Yes, um, through that culture. But I'm constantly on the look for sort of more um, Turkish food, Middle Eastern, Greek food, yeah. I love all the Mediterranean food. Um, I'd like I like simplicity. I guess yeah. you know when I go for dinner, I like. I guess because of the, you know, the amount of training I do and writing I do, I like to go out and, and generally not have a complicated meal. I like a piece of fish and vegetables. Yeah. And whether, whether, whether the produce really speaks for itself and has, doesn't have to be overcomplicated and I don't necessarily like all the, all the new age techniques. Yeah. You know, uh, sous vide is not really my favorite thing. Yeah. I like a piece of fish that's been roasted. Yeah. In a, in a so steel it's still pan. Got some texture. Yeah. yeah, texture is everything to me. So. Yeah. So thinking that's the kind of food you like to eat now because for various reasons health well-being but if you yep. were thinking about your last supper what would it be i'm pretty standard when it comes to a last supper yeah. um, i think I'll, i think i would be like salt crusted chicken bread sauce and nut brown butter and maybe a, maybe some roasted jerusalem artichokes oh, i loved jerusalem artichokes me oh my god and ro- and just like Covered in butter and roasted mm. in butter, and then so, when you eat them, like butter's just drooling out. Yeah. Of them. So, <laughs> so you just you're just dribbling chicken juice, bread sauce, and butter. And butter. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, the last meal. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm, yeah, you're not going health conscious for your last meal. Nah. So where nah. where does that has that got a food memory associated with it? Like the the roast. Um, is that yeah, I guess somewhere? so because you know, I, Steph, I grew up on a dairy farm in Queensland. Oh, did you? Whereabouts? Yeah, I did about four and a half hours. Um, north, uh, northwest of Brisbane. Yeah, a little place called Bowena. Yeah, in between Meribah and Biggenden. Yeah, I went to school with about twenty kids. Wow. We didn't have to wear shoes. Very, oh, very rural upbringing. <laughs> so it. I mean, so, so for us, chicken was actually uh, something we would have. It was like a celebration uh, dinner. So because we had chicken, yeah, we would only have a chicken if. It was someone's birthday or as a Christmas. So because mm. otherwise, we would, chickens were used for eggs. Yeah, absolutely. We'd, we'd, we'd they could produce chicken. something else, so you couldn't eat them. Yeah, and so beef. We other outside of that, it was meat and three veg. Yeah, okay. you know the other six or seven nights of the yeah. week. So was your uh, mum so a chicken? Was always seen as mum was a fantastic cook. Really? Yeah, but she was still she was still that she was still that person who would boil potatoes, carrots, beans, peas cabbage, cauliflower, all in the same pot till the potatoes were cooked, and then she'd dip all the goodness down the sink. Mm, yum. But, Not. But that's, what, that's the way mum's cooked. But she would do, you know, corned beef and yeah. um, uh, all the classics, you know, she'd yeah. do risoles, shepherd's, shepherd's pie, and mum was a housemaid for, for another family, so she'd make like peach cobblers, um, we, we, had, we had a mold tree, so there was, a, you know, like mulberry oh, yeah. tart. Yeah. Mum was a fantastic, mum was, mum, well, mum is. Fantastic. Like cook. No, mum is still alive and mum's yeah. still a good cook. Is, is that where you got your love of 
cooking from? Um, I guess um, all the women in, in my family, on my mum's side, I guess, but it was my grandmother. Um, and her heritage is Baltic, so she was from Estonia. Okay. She came to, uh, she actually got to New Zealand uh, in about ni- uh, 1946, I think it is. Yeah. She was, she um, got out through Poland when, uh, obviously, when uh, Germany and Russia had invaded, and she yeah. was set out on a boat till the 1500 wow. um, displaced Eastern Europeans. Do you have to admire uh, people that did that? She, oh, it's crazy. Different language. No family, you know, half her family shouldn't know where, where you know where they were. Yeah. She lost her father, uh, who died and he froze to death in Siberia. Her brother uh, disappeared for eight years. Wow! Um, but she got she got out with some of her friends. Yeah. Um, she started a new life for herself, and uh, you know, my my grandmother passed away nine years ago. Um, and well, you had her for a long time. Day, she's like still her. the matriarch. Is she? She's still the matriarch of our family. Yeah. You know, she is very well loved. She's very well missed. What was her signature dish? What was the thing that she did so well? So, so my grandmother used to make a dish called risolia, mm. and risolia is comprised of beetroot, potatoes, apples. She would have made it for herself with herrings, but I don't think everyone in the family liked herrings, so she would <laughs> use tinned salmon. Yeah, um, there was sour cream, mustard powder, lemon juice. I think spring onions or chives. Yeah, um, are in it. But my sister still makes it. My mother still makes it. It's it's a tradition that's still made in our family, and it's known as the pink salad that lives in the old ice cream container. Oh. And it's always better the second day. Always, yeah. And, you know, when I um, I used to have this – my grandma used to have all these containers um, on a in a shelf in the corner of her kitchen, and it had, like, there'd be a slice in one and there'd biscuits in another one and something else in another one or whatever. <laughs> and I, I just remember her chocolate chip cookies were unbelievable, and I could not – replicate them and she's she passed away when i was 13 so i don't have any way of getting it from her the recipe but you know what one day i ran out of containers and i had an ice cream container so i stored the cookies in the ice cream container the next day i opened that container and ate one of those cookies boom that was the secret it was in the container. It was the container. It changed the flavour. It was I know, but uh, there it was. It was unbelievable. What a, what a nostalgic, what a nostalgic moment I to, know, to, to recognise that, that, but to also be in thought of her at the same oh, time. Oh yeah, it was. It was just beautiful. It was such a lovely moment. So, dessert. We what would you? We do need more of those. We need those memories connected mm. to food, right? To encourage people yeah. to to cook and to eat. Well, that's what I love. Yeah. So, what's your um, what's your last supper dessert? Are you a dessert guy? Well, I would tell everyone else no, and secretly go make something. <laughs> I'm a big fan of caramel, like, but the condensed milk caramel. Oh, true. So my mum used to make, yeah, my mum used to make the caramel, the caramel um tart. Yeah. Where she'd boil the condensed milk for half hours or cook it in a pressure cooker. Yeah. Was a favourite. Um, Yum. I'm a, actually, you know, one of my favourites is, you know, I, I, I do have a bit of a sweet tooth and I try and steer away from, from it. But I guess you know, one of my favourite things is the chocolate Eve cake. Um, we used to make it from on curd. Yeah. And, and it's, a, it's fundamentally you're making a mousse, but you bake half of it. And as it, it rises, and when you take it out and you invert it, it sinks like a crater in the centre. Yeah. You take half a amount of, so the, the remaining mousse that you have, yeah. you Take half that volume in cream, whip that and fold it through the mousse, and then you put it into the crater of the, the, the cake. Yeah. And then you let it to cool and you set it, and then you 
dust it with, you know, you know, Valorona cocoa powder. Yeah. And you cut it, um, and you so you have like perfect chocolate mousse and a perfectly baked mousse. It really is. I mean, it's one of my favorite cakes. And there was a there was a recipe that was handed down from Damien Pinulet. That sounds um, amazing. Many years ago. That's it's absolutely delicious. I believe they still have it on the menu of Bistro Moncur. Oh, today. really? Mm-hmm. Ah, I will have to um, make my way there one day and try it. Will you let me know when you're in Sydney? Maybe I'll join you for a piece of this ah, chocolate cake. That'd be great. We'll do that. It's a date. <laughs> All right. We'll, and we'll, we'll, Damon will come and hang out with us. Oh, that would be great. Knowledge. I would love that. I, look, one of the biggest blessings I've had since my MasterChef journey started is the incredible people I've been able to surround myself with. I am just so incredibly blessed and I'm making – so many memories. It's just such a wild ride, right? Oh, well, I'm a lucky girl. I'm a very lucky girl. Anyway, <sighs> I'm going to finish off with one last little question before we go because I'm sure you really need to have a beer and a sleep or something. Oh, um, I need to get out of these disgustingly wet cycling clothes <laughs> right now. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, okay. So this is probably going to be a bit interesting for you today, this last question, but what I want to know is what was the last thing you ate? Last thing I ate. Last <laughs> thing I ate was a um, it was a white, probably Baker's Delight bread roll. Yeah. With roasted chicken. Yeah. And some sort of spicy mayonnaise and lettuce. We had we've had lunch. We you know we've had lunch stop. We had probably three or four stops along the way. And yeah. We have caterers on the way, and, and they're sort of our last, fundamentally our last meal. And I turned up through a lot of channels and. And bars on the roads they tend to they tend to back you up, Steph. Oh, do and they? You and you've got a long way to go, go, right? Yeah, and I'd rather eat real food. So that's, and, but the first thing I'm about to eat as soon as I get off this phone will be a tin of cooked tuna. I, I should once I've done a big ride like that. It's so important to um um for me to eat protein. So I'll eat 120 grams of protein. So I'll yep. eat tuna. Yeah. And then um, I'll have a shower and then I'll go and actually find something to eat this week. But um, mm. eating is such a big, important part, not necessarily for just filling your hole right now. Yeah. It's for recovery tomorrow. Yeah. So we have another five days and those days can be anywhere from 130 to um, wow. 180 kilometers. you got to back it up every single day. So you need the fuel mm-hmm. to keep going, right? That's it. Mm, wow, amazing. Well, all the best and enjoy your ride. And I can't wait to come and eat chocolate cake with you soon in Sydney. Thanks, Seth. All the best. Thanks, See you, gorgeous. Bye. Bye. Feeling hungry? Drool over Steph's recipes at spicystep.com.